Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey everyone, from KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer, and today on The Breakdown, she's a Democrat who just won a seat that's been occupied by the GOP since the 1800s. You heard that right. Katrina Foley is the first Democratic woman ever elected to the Orange County Board of Supervisors, a county that has long been synonymous with Republican politics, but has turned more purple and in some cases even blue in recent years. We'll get to that in just a little bit, but first, Scott... What uh, a night in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday. Um, And, of course, the president gave a very long and detailed speech about his agenda. But what I'm talking about was the scene behind him. For the first time in our nation's history, two women up on that dais, Vice President Kamala Harris, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, not just any two women, two women from the Bay. Absolutely. You know, I was thinking, uh, I came to San Francisco in 1981, and uh, if anyone had told me then that the future <laughs> vice president and speaker of the House would both be women from San Francisco, I would have thought they're getting something from the hate and using it, some drugs from the hate. I mean, it was, uh, you just could never predict it. I mean, Phil Burton was the congressman at that time, another legend, but it was extra- it's extraordinary. And, you know, Marisa, you and I have talked many times about the politics of San Francisco, the crucible that it is. David Chu, famously, we've quoted it many times, calls it like a knife fight in a phone booth because everyone knows each other. It's very personal. But if you emerge from that as Gavin Newsom and Dianne Feinstein and, Bar- you know, not Barbara Boxer, but obviously Kamala Harris uh, and Pelosi have, you, you've got some chops. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to say how old I was in 1981, <laughs> but I will say that even coming here in the early 2000s and thinking about, and not even just then, I mean, just thinking about the way that Pelosi in particular has been used as, you know, held up across the nation as for the GOP, this target, the San Francisco values. Um, and I know that there are still a lot of people who don't like everything about our city, but I think that it is, um, it is remarkable to see that. And, and I mean, beyond our sort of local pride, I just think as a woman seeing this, you know, I saw somebody tweet, um, or maybe it was on CNN, they were saying, this is such a big deal for girls, you know, little girls and kids everywhere. And I said to my son, hey, look, you know, look who's up there. And he goes, yeah, so? And <laughs> I, I actually <laughs> thought that was the moment in a way because, yeah, he knows who they are and he met them. But really, it's that that we do have a generation coming up where that is all they will know. And well, I think that that's really powerful, whether Democrat, Republican, Independent, that that matters. You and know? This, yeah, just like for kids who grew up in the Obama administration, you know, that's the first uh 
president that they will remember is an African-American president. And it just seems like, yeah, that's that's the way it is. And, you know, San Francisco, it is is funny because, you know, Pelosi and we talked with our guest last week, Susan Page, who wrote a biography about Pelosi, just how she's always targeted, you know, in these national races, whether it's in Georgia or wherever it is, like people, the, the Republicans try to make it seem like they're running against her rather than whoever it is, is the candidate there. But, you know, and she's she just, says, bring it on, bring it on. You know, she has <laughs> what does she say? I have uh, crushed glass and nails for breakfast or something like <laughs> Like that. <laughs> Along with her chocolate. Yeah. Along with her chocolate. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that was a big night for Democrats. Not as happy news earlier this week. The recall has qualified against Governor Gavin Newsom uh, for the ballot. There's, I guess, I guess with the asterisk that if enough people remove their signatures that it could not, but come on, it's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. Um, and we wanted to bring in our own guy, Marzarati, to talk a little bit about what is going to happen now, because I think that part of, um, you know, this is, a, if you weren't a voter in 2003, you've never lived through a gubernatorial recall. So, Guy, welcome on. Thanks for having me. Were you a voter Although I guess I've booked myself. No. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for booking yourself <laughs> and showing up. Yeah. Were you a voter in 2003, no. Guy Marjorie? No, I was not a voter in 2003. <laughs> so, okay. So, tell us what happens now. What are the next couple of months going to look like? So, I think it's, it's a lot of procedure from here until when this election could actually happen in likely November. I think that's what we're thinking about. Um, right now is the signature withdrawal period, which ha happens from now until June 8th. And basically, as you said, folks who sign this recall petition can decide to take their names off of it. We should mention there is a Democratic campaign going on to actively get people to change their mind. This is led by former uh, State Senate President Don Parada. It's a total shot in the dark because it's not public record who signed these petitions. So it's very hard to follow up individually with people and try to convince them. I even talked to Prada about this. He admitted it was a long shot. He said, you know, guy, maybe I've just been spending too much time inside this last year. And I think it's very unlikely that this pans out in any way. And from there, it's really, you know, checks by the, the uh, fiscal committees in the legislature, the Department of Finance to come up with the cost of the election. But really, this thing is moving forward. And Guy, you've written about this. There is some wiggle room. I mean, uh, this can be slow walked, you know, to use all the time that they have to come up with the fiscal analysis and all those things. Or it can be expedited a little bit. Do you have any sense? First of all, wh where is the wiggle room in the timeline? And what's your sense of whether or not Democrats will try to use that? Right. Well, anytime you look at the timeline and see the word promptly, I think there's your wiggle room. There's there's some parts of this recall procedure that aren't specifically spelled out. And the statewide officials who are running this process, namely Secretary of State Shirley Weber, she's a Democrat. She was appointed by Governor Newsom. There is wiggle room in terms of how quickly the turnaround happens from seeing that there's not enough signatures withdrawn to going ahead to the next step. I mean, the in, entire window of when this can happen is not too wide. It's still likely in November. If things get done, um, you know, at a quicker pace, I guess it could happen maybe late October. But I think it's, you know, it's definitely going to be a fall election. And for those thousands of Californians hoping to vie for the leadership post of California governor, when will they need to collect those signatures, put in their, what, $4,000? When are we right. thinking you'll have to decide that by? Well, this actually is an interesting piece in which the Secretary of State and Lieutenant Governor have some leeway, is that once this is certified, which could happen probably around September, um, the election can be set from 60 to 80 days from there. And if it's set for 60 days, that creates a short period of time in which people can enter their names because the cutoff to enter happens a couple months before the election. So you could hypothetically run into a scenario where there might only be a 24-hour period for people to get their paperwork in. 
that's not what happened in 2003. I believe they used the full 80 days from when the election was called to when it was actually scheduled. But that is a possibility out there. And, so and this, any of you guys running? Are there running? <laughs> you know, I thought about running for office <laughs> years ago, but uh, no, I will not be throwing my hat in this particular ring. Uh, guys, some good news for the governor, though, this week. You reported on this as well. The PPIC poll showing 59% of likely voters approve of the job he's doing, the governor's doing, on school reopening and reopening the economy. I don't Wait, think let's those Let's go are... back to that first part. School reopening. 59%. Right. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. I mean, even Mark Baldessari, the pollster, was like, wow, I didn't expect that. Uh, what, what is, I mean, that obviously makes the recall even less likely of succeeding, but what do you make of that? Well, I think you have to take all these polls, and the PBIC has done a lot of them together, and the conclusion you come to is the anti Newsom movement, the recall campaign, really lacks a breakout capacity at this point. It seems to be contained. Whether you look at the, the percentage of Californians who disapprove of what Newsom's done on schools, around 40%. Disapprove on what he's done on the economy, around 40%. How many likely voters support the recall, around 40%. And that's actually how many roughly voted for John Cox in 2018. So you're not seeing any breakout on any particular issue, right, where, you know, Newsom voters are incensed about a specific topic. It's all breaking 60-40. And as long as there's no deviation from that 60-40 split, then if you're Team Newsom, the game plan's super simple. It's Democrat versus Republican, blue versus red, us versus them. And, you know, we can talk about there are some concerns in that PPIC poll about next school year. There's parents still obviously concerned about that. And, and the budget process, as I've written about this week, will play a huge role in that. Um, and Newsom has a, has a real opportunity to kind of nip that in the bud, get back to normal in the fall. But certainly anytime you're seeing this kind of 60-40 uh, split, it's exactly what Team Newsom wants to be hearing right now. Well, good news for Newsom. And as we've been saying for months, I think the the minute, you know, yeah, that people butts are in chairs at school, the vaccine rollout has been going pretty well in California. Um, I think that makes it even harder for his opponents. All right. We are going to take a short break. When we return, we'll be joined by Orange County Supervisor Katrina Foley. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, 
visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Marisa Lagos here with Scott Schaefer, and we are being joined by Orange County Supervisor Katrina Foley. She is the first Democratic woman ever elected to represent District 2 in Orange County and the first Democrat in that seat in over a century. Her district includes Newport Beach and Huntington Beach, among other coastal communities. Supervisor Foley, welcome to The Breakdown. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm the first woman Democrat ever in Orange County. <laughs> ever. And just, just breaking all the barriers. Well, um... You know, you and I met in 2018 when we, our whole team, Guy and Scott and I were down there reporting on the move to make Orange County blue. Um, y'all successfully flipped a bunch of congressional seats, but actually you now took the seat of a Republican who then flipped one of those seats back, if you're following me, uh, a Congresswoman, Michelle Steele. But just thinking about that district, I mean, Huntington Beach in particular is such so synonymous with the conservative movement and, and other parts of it that we'll get into later. How'd you do it? Well, I won Huntington Beach. That's how I did it. Yeah. I won how? Huntington Beach. I won Newport Coast. Uh, I won Costa Mesa, of course. Um, and I won a lot of the little cities that uh, make up District 2. And how we did it, we had this huge coalition of people just relentlessly calling voters, spreading our message of let's get this community vaccinated. Let's make sure that we lead with science and let's get all back to living our best lives. I mean, I think that was the message that resonated and my opponents were science deniers. Well, and one of them, of course, was uh, was John. John Morlock was the one who was closest to you, the former state senator, former county supervisor. Um, and he wasn't the only, you know, science denier. I mean, the person you replaced, Michelle Steele, who's now in Congress, was a big anti-masker uh, right. when she was on the board. So how did all of that play into the campaign? How did you talk about that on the campaign trail? Well, of course, there probably wasn't a campaign trail. It was on Zoom. Well, there right? was. I mean, we did mail. We had um, we had COVID-safe field uh, canvassing that we did um, where we would have people knock at the door and then step back on the sidewalk. Um, Everything we did was a lot of phone banking on Zoom calls where you'd have hundreds of people from literally across America. We had young people involved in our campaign that were from Texas and D.C. and uh, Oregon. I mean, all wow, over. Wow, that, that is extraordinary for a supervisorial seat. Yeah, it was it was the best campaign I've ever I mean, I'm biased, but it was the best campaign I've ever participated in because there was so much camaraderie, but you never actually met any of these people. We all just met each other on Zoom, um, but there were people who were committed to the cause. And I think what was happening in the background with what happened with the insurrection, it was just like two months prior. Some of those people had been at my home over the summer, uh, and now they're being arrested and investigated here in Orange County as taking part in the insurrection. So I think people really just rallied to the cause that it's time for a change. We just need better leadership and people that believe in science. And the COVID was sort of the platform to talk about science, science, climate action. You know, we don't have anything going on here at the county level that's really committed to that cause. So I, I had an opportunity to, you know, if you will, take advantage of COVID and all of the people opposing me who really weren't taking it seriously 
and then extrapolate from there on other really important issues here. There's a lot of environmentalists live here in Orange County. It's a coastal community. Yeah. I'm curious, though, on that issue and, and sort of, I mean, what is your sense? Because, I mean, we mentioned Michelle Steele, who made waves, you know, for, I think, comparing, saying it was speciesism or something that dogs didn't have to wear masks, which she kind of walked back. We've had her on the she show. She also voted against American Rescue Plan, which doesn't help Orange County. It's <laughs> There's the politician. But then we <laughs> saw this week one of your uh, supervisors make national news, Don Wagner, for he says facetiously asking a question about vaccines and tracking devices. But I mean, for those of us, I mean, Orange County is sort of the other side of the coin. Like a lot of people watch San Francisco politics with their mouths open. I think a lot of people on the other side watch the Orange County politics. What is your sense of the vibe in the community around these questions of COVID safety vaccinations? I mean, is it is are, does it track with what we hear from some of the more prominent opponents of yours? No, no. In fact, 80%, there was just a survey done by Chapman University, 80% of the voters here or the residents in Orange County believe in vaccinations. They're getting vaccinated. We've already vaccinated nearly 1.5 million people out of the 3.2 million that live in Orange County. So it's a supernova majority of people who believe that the vaccination is the right way to go. And that's the way for us to get out of this pandemic. It's this small faction that are very loud. And, you know, now we got them on Jimmy Kimmel. So it's just a really uh, it's um, unfortunately for those of us who love Orange County and live here and love the diversity of our community, love the culture and, and love everything that's not that about Orange County. Um, we have these people that are just loud and, you know, it's fun to tweet about them. And so then it just goes crazy and it becomes national news. My dad sent me a tweet uh, from Washington. He lives in Washington. He sent me. So it's just, it's unfortunate. <laughs> we know how that, we know how that feels. <laughs> I, I want to come back to something you said just in your first answer there, or second answer about the, 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 the campaign you had and you went sort of door to door carefully. That was something Democrats did not do in the midterms in 2020 right. and they paid for it. And I'm wondering, was that like a lesson learned? Is that why? You absolutely. Just absolutely. So Harley Ruda was my congressman. I worked very hard as mayor to help get him elected originally. And as you know, and um, so um, we learned that the Republicans were going to be out canvassing. They weren't going to even be wearing masks. We, of course, didn't believe in that, but we needed to get door to door. So we had our team. They were wearing masks. We had shields, face shields. Um, we had no contact door to door communication, people staying at a distance. And um, and it really helped. But I do think a big piece of our campaign that really made a difference as well was the phone banking. I mean, we mm -hmm. really pushed hard on community phone banking and we did it across the district. So it so, was, yeah. um, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. And, you know, it's historic or historic. Um, <laughs> but what's funny is I came into this office, right? This was Michelle Steele's office and John Morlock's office, by the way. Um, he previously was in here. And so the COVID denying you could, we had to buy cameras for the office, for the Zoom calls, because they weren't obviously Zooming because they didn't have any cameras. Um, <laughs> um, so we just, there's a lot of things that we learned. Um, and even today at the board meeting on Tuesday, um, all of these anti-vaxxers anti who are also anti-mask, you know, they don't, 
they line up in the hallway exposing our county employees because we know they're not vaccinated. We know they're not wearing a mask. And so I raised this as a concern of mine. You know, this is an OSHA violation at the very least. We should be protecting our employees. We shouldn't be exposing people. Plus, it prevents people who want to come talk about other matters from coming down to the county offices. Supervisor Foote, we are talking, I should tell our listeners, we are talking with Orange County Supervisor Katrina Foley. Uh, this is Political Breakdown with Marisa Lagos and Scott Schaefer. Supervisor Foley, I mean, you mentioned you helped get Harley Ruda elected. He and Gil Cisneros both lost the seats that Democrats had flipped in 2018 um, to Michelle Steele. And um, uh, why am I blanking on the, the other congresswoman's Kim, name? Kim. Young Kim. Young, Young Kim. Kim. Um, both Asian American women with deep ties to the community. Um, it, it's been interesting watching from afar because, you know, you then have Katie Porter down in her district in Irvine who didn't even get a challenge this time around. What do you think? I mean, how good do you think Democrats chances are of getting those seats back in 2022? And do they need to have different candidates? I mean, is, is some of this the, the folks running? Well, you know, I think we don't even know if we're going to have a seat in 2020. <laughs> we we're yeah. losing a seat in uh, in California. Who knows where that's going to come from? But if we if we do have uh, ability, I, I do think uh, Jay Chin, who's running um, against Young Kim, he's an excellent candidate, raising um, a lot of money. Yeah, and and he's he really can connect with the community. He's he's really tied in there. I, I think he's going to do the work. You know, he's a hard worker. He's going to do the campaigning. And um, I think he'll he'll run and he can win. Um, I've already endorsed him. We also have um, Harley is running against uh, Michelle Steele again. I, I'm supporting Harley. Um, now, here here's the difference. At the time, Michelle Steele was running during Trump being on the ballot capitalizing on that. She was a huge supporter of Trump. Her husband was the finance director, you know, for California, for Trump. Uh, But that's not going to happen in 2022, one. And two, she's voting against Orange County. She voted against the American Rescue Plan. Well, we are depending on that money. We're getting $631 million right here in the County of Orange. We're giving out arts uh, grants with it from the county. We're giving out Uh, food distribution grants. I have a small business grant program. You know, you know, all the different kinds of opportunities that Americans and Orange County's uh, residents and businesses can, can capitalize on through the, this grant funding. So she voted against that. She voted against uh, some infrastructure bills that we, um, that are tied directly to, like, literally I leave every day and there's a project that we could get funded from the federal government and she's voting no on it, you know? And so, yeah, so it'd be a lot, a lot of good. Uh, a lot of fodder for TV commercials. Let me, uh, let's pivot and just ask you about the recall. Of course, Orange County as a bastion of uh, Republicanism over the years has given a lot of signatures to the recall petition. Some of the leadership comes from down there as well as even further to the right, uh, which, you know, uh, the white supremacist movement has been identified with Orange County and hate groups and so on. How how do you see the recall playing out in a place like Orange County? And, uh, you know, how, how just as things reopen, it might be an easier case to make for the governor. But, you know, how do you see that stew of politics playing out? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the same guy who is all over the 
Twitter storm uh, in the last 24 hours is on the governor's recall uh, effort campaign. But um, I, I really believe that the governor is going to prevail. Uh, it's a really a matter of time, like you were talking about. By the time we get this item on the ballot, we will all be back to going to Disneyland and the fair and uh, to the beach and our favorite restaurants and wineries and coffee bars and kids will be back to school. Uh, families will be going back to sporting events and, and theaters will be open again. Um, so I do think that that has really impacted the catalyst for getting the signatures. I know there was a lot of Democrat small business owners that are restaurateurs, et cetera, personal care service businesses that probably signed the recall papers because they were literally feeling desperate and they, they, you know, it's his fault. Right. But we're in a different place now and we're the fifth largest economy in the world. We have a surplus that we're now investing back into California in places where we see the pandemic exposed major gaps in terms of rich and poor. And, um, and I do think that if he can stay disciplined, which has been his <laughs> weakness, okay? Those of us who are super disciplined about how we model our behavior, um, if he can stay disciplined, he, uh, I think he can weather it. Do you think, I mean, what lessons, do you want to bring with you in your new job because you are on a board with a three it's a nonpartisan board but let's face yeah. it there's three conservatives and two liberals um and then also just thinking statewide i mean you are more used to dealing with folks with a range of viewpoints than the governor might have been coming from the bay area quite frankly so like yeah. what are you bringing to this what do you think democrats can think about when they think about the recall or selling joe biden's plan um in terms of reaching across to folks who may not agree with you well, and I, this is what I say to Harley too, is you have to run like a mayor. Okay. A mayor has to appeal to a bipartisan residents. A mayor has to focus on issues, not on politics. A mayor has to make like voting for a candidate, something that they think that the voter is going to benefit from? How are they going to benefit from you sitting in that seat, making decisions about their taxes, especially now? And so I think if he can focus on the issues and, and focus on issues that cross party lines, it's really important. I always try to focus on issues. I know I'm a Democrat. I'm a lifelong Democrat. I loved the image of President Biden with the two women there in the most powerful seats in America. You know, I loved that. But at the same time, we had he did a good job of focusing on issues in his speech. And we have to get back to focus on issues because that's what people care about. We're getting a little short on time, but we always like to ask our guests a little bit about their personal, where they came from. And I believe you were, you're not, there's not a lot about you out there. I think you were born in Bakersfield. I know you've lived in Orange County for about 25 years. You went to law school in Seattle. Um, but one of the things you mention and this shows up about you is that you are, you call yourself a Head Start graduate, somebody which I think everyone knows that's an early nutrition and childhood nutrition and pre-ed, pre-K schooling for low-income families. Why do you, why do you mention that? And, and what, what, what was your life like at that point? I mention it because 
I want um, all of those young people out there or even people my own age to know that you can still have the American dream. You can still live the California dream because my family was dirt poor. Okay. And, you know, my mom was in those food distribution lines for us at Thanksgiving and all the different holidays. We'd have the rotary giving us gifts. Um, And I had committed teachers who recognized my potential and kept pushing me. I had you know, great women role models and my mom and my grandma who knew that public education was my ticket out of poverty. And so um, I mentioned Head Start because most of the kids in Head Start are there because it's free <laughs> and their parents are working. And they, and they need, need it. A, uh, and, and so, you know, I was on the free school lunch all the way up till college. I went to wow. UCLA on a Pell Grant and um, I've been working since I was 12. So I understand uh, the value of a dollar and but I also understand how to invest those dollars for good. And that will never be something I forget. And I always lead with my core values and my life history there. Maybe a little bit of a sly pro-government spending message as well. Um, yeah. So final question. We know Disneyland is reopening soon. I know you, I think your boys are grown, but what is your favorite thing to do for fun in Orange County? Is it a beach? Is it Disneyland? What, what's your, what do you do on the weekends when you're not phone banking? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm so boring. Okay. So I, I love working. I'm a weirdo. But, <laughs> so, so if I'm, if I'm doing something, it's usually just hanging out with my husband. Um, we've been married this summer. It'll be 30 years. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. And so we like to hang out in our backyard and swim and quick, quick that's question. pretty much it. <laughs> quick question. I noticed on your list of things you've done in terms of community involvement is the National Scholastic Skateboarding League. What is yeah. that? Okay. So, so my, um, I'm so excited about it too, because now there's a couple of our skaters that were in the league that it's no longer, but that what they were in the league, now they're in the Olympics for skateboarding. This will be the first time we have Olympic skateboarding. So my oldest son, Sam, who's now going to be 23 next week, he, um, he was a huge skateboarder. He was on the amateur snowboard circuit. And so in order to stay connected to him and make sure he stayed out of trouble, I formed a skateboarding league. That's we, had we had intramural skateboarding um, from all the high schools and junior highs. We had Friday night lights at the skate park. <laughs> I love it. Cool. I'm going to tell my kids. All right, Supervisor Katrina Foley of Orange County, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you. you. It's great to see you both. Thank you, you too. That is going to do it for this edition of Political Breakdown. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer and occasional guest is Guy Marzarati. Our engineer is Jim Bennett and Katie McMurrin. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Vinnie Tong, Erica Aguilar, and Jonathan Blakely. I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can find me on Twitter at MLagos. Have a good one. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! 
Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.